0: Hello, I'm Jody Flynn of Women Taking the Lead, and today I'm talking with Patsy Dorr about the leadership we need for the world we live in today. Back in 2017, in episode 197, I interviewed Katie Clark, who at that time was the current president of the Junior League chapter in Portland, Maine. Since then, I've done a few speaking engagements for the league and have stayed aware of the Junior League and their activities. Recently, a friend shared with me some of the initiatives that were unfolding at the corporate level of the organization. I reached out to their new CEO, Patsy Doerr, and she graciously agreed to come on the Women Taking Lead podcast to talk about these initiatives. Here's a little soundbite of what you're in for in this episode.
1: In order to be an effective leader, and this has definitely been an approach that, that I've taken in previous organizations and intend to do the same with the association, is that You need to integrate diversity, equity, inclusion into how you educate people overall. And so that if you're a leader, it's just expected that you will be one who's inclusive and who pays attention to diversity, right? It's just part of being a leader. It really shouldn't be a separate exercise to your point. It should be part of how do you lead? How do you incorporate all aspects of diversity? Because it's not only about Those areas of diversity that we talk about, race, gender, LGBTQ status, et cetera, but it's also just about different styles and approaches.
0: Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm here with Patsy Dorr, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Junior Leagues International Incorporated, or AJLI. Patsy leads all facets of AJLI and serves as the face of the organization, advocating in both the public and private sectors. Patsy is a leading expert and thought leader in the field of corporate social responsibility, diversity and inclusion and sustainability. She has been interviewed by a number of publications and programs, including Forbes, The Muse, The Hill, and Thrive Global. Completing over 75-plus keynote presentations, panel moderations, and group discussion facilitations per year, Patsy is frequently tapped to discuss DEI issues. Her greatest passion is helping organizations build and develop initiatives that best position them for long-term success in a diverse global environment. And Patsy, that is certainly what you're doing with AJLI, and we're going to get into that in a bit. But that was a 10,000-foot version of you and what you're doing. So tell us a little
1: bit more about you and what you're up to in the world. Sounds great. Happy to. Well, thank you for that very kind introduction. Um, As you mentioned, I've just taken on this role actually very recently, about five months ago. So we're we're still in the process of understanding the organization as a whole and making some decisions in terms of where we're going to head going forward, both from a strategic planning perspective and also from an organizational team dynamic perspective, if you will. But it's been fantastic because, as you mentioned, my my background is based on talent development, diversity and inclusion, community impact, et cetera, in a global capacity. So I've had the the pleasure and the opportunity to live in Hong Kong, London, and New York, driving this work on a global scale. So when this role came about, it was a perfect fit, right? I was able to take on a broader leadership role for an organization wholly dedicated to diversity and inclusion and leadership development and community engagement. So it's actually a Perfect fit. And not to mention the fact that I myself was a member of the Junior League, both in New York and London some time ago. So it's really been a great fit. And I'm delighted to be here to talk about the work that we're doing going now and going forward.
0: Yes, and congratulations on your promotion. I know a lot of my clients had been recently promoted, even if it's like within the last 3 years, some of them feel like this is still a recent promotion because there's a lot of work to do at the outset to get a lay of the land, you know, pick your priorities, gather up the resources, organize everybody and get going. But just from what I'm hearing from on the outside looking in, there's a lot getting done in a short amount of time. So congratulations to you. So tell me, um, you just brought it up. So let's go right there. Tell me about the work that the Association of Junior Leagues International is doing in the world.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Happy to. Um, So we are an organization dedicated to training women and giving them leadership experiences in their communities. If I were to summarize it in a nutshell, we're 125,000 members in 295 junior leagues in four different countries, so primary, primarily in the United States, but also in Canada, Mexico, and the UK. And at some point, we'll look to global expansion as well, which is near and dear to my heart, but something that we wish to do and hope to do to grow our membership in the future. But what we focus on is a couple different things. So, So first of all, leadership experiences, as I would call it. And what that means is that we have an intensive and comprehensive curriculum in place to train and educate women as leaders in their communities, but also in all their work and their personal lives as well. So everything ranging from what it takes to run a business and a junior league as such, as well as how do you develop your own mindfulness, understand your strengths and weaknesses, things of that nature to apply both personally and professionally the second piece of our work which is the bulk of what we do is really about community engagement and community impact and so all of our women are volunteers and they're out there in their communities doing work focusing on topics like hunger poverty literacy basic needs so many different things in all of their communities around the globe and these women are dedicating a lot of time to these topics which is which is fantastic And the third piece of our work, which has become a priority in the past couple years, and certainly now, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's really about building that out within the association. So across all of the junior leagues, our board, our team, et cetera, but also to have a voice in the community around diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does it mean to build an effective strategy in this area? What does it mean to be successful? How do you actually put accountability metrics in place? And all of those components of DE&I, which are so important in the world today, in society and business, and certainly in the nonprofit membership world.
0: Okay, Patsy, let me unpack some of that. That's amazing. I love how there's this three pronged mission going on all at the same time, centering around your, your members and the training that they're getting. So one, I love that because yes, leadership skills, if you learn them in one area of life, they will translate across the board because a lot of it is the soft skills. And if you get better at things like, listening asking good questions summing things up connecting with other people that's going to make you even stronger at in your work life in your family so that is just an amazing thing and and obviously with the podcast called women taking the lead i am all about women learning leadership skills and that's amazing but i would say and that those are skills too that we can gain in a variety of ways but the work in the community you really have to be trained to try to make an impact at a community level. That's not something easily done as an individual, right? You don't just pick up a book, read about, you know, community involvement and community impact and suddenly do that. Tell me a little bit more about the approach you take with your members on, you know, how because I know the work that you do has tremendous impacts within the communities that each of these chapters live within. What's the approach there?
1: Great question. Yes, I, I realize I shared a lot of information about where we're headed, but uh, just just so that you're you're aware, Jamie. I love it. <laughs> no, that's great to hear. We're we're excited, as you can hopefully tell. But certainly, we're also, and I should note this, we're we're in the process of developing a new strategic plan which means looking at our mission, vision, and all of our priorities. And that's why all of these topics are so rich and full of discussion as we speak, because we're in the middle of this process, which will take place over the next several months. So these three areas will remain key priorities, but they'll be even more And we'll be drilling down into more of the detail as well as you move forward. But to your question around the community engagement piece, which is really the, the critical piece of what we do. So there are two aspects, I would say, if I were to summarize it. Number one, as we speak, we're working on an overall collective impact strategy, So how do we understand what's going on across all of the 295 leagues that we have to really understand what those focus areas, because they do vary very much by community, as you mentioned, and I alluded to earlier. And so what we're doing at the moment is piloting an initiative where we can get a sense of those organizations, as well as to understand how we can sort of combine those topics without taking away the uniqueness of those communities in which our league volunteers serve but to identify some core buckets, if you will, that can lead to us having a collective voice and be able to work as an association overall and speak to the work that we're doing in a more comprehensive, cohesive way. So that's happening as we speak. So as you can tell, there's a lot of change and newness going on, but I will tell you that the organization has been around for a hundred years. So this is our centennial year. We're working towards our centennial celebration, which will take place in October, And I tell you that because Mary Harriman, who started the organization 100 years ago, was a pioneer in her own right. And she really started this whole concept of getting out in your communities. She was coming from a family who had the means to do so at the time. And she really went out there and said, I want to give back. And she started this history of the organization, which is so rich in terms of how we operate and why people join the Junior League. And so it started 100 years ago. And I tell you that because so much has changed and evolved over the years, but what has remained very common and core to what we do is how do we impact these communities? How do we measure our success? How do we do work that is relevant in New Orleans versus a New York versus a London or Mexico City, you know, making sure that we're on top of what those core issues are. And as I mentioned earlier, they honestly range from everything from literacy to basic needs, to hunger, but also to getting out in the communities and and, and doing some sort of partnering, if you will, to make sure that we have a voice or giving a voice to our communities and those people that are in need. And that's something that the Junior League or AJLI is very capable of doing based on our history and the resources that we have in terms of the size of our membership and the communities we operate in.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. A couple of thoughts on this one. And because in past episodes, I've gone through and explained the cycle of change. So even though the organization is 100 years old, there have you have, co- are constantly in some phase of the cycle of change. And right now you're in a phase that people typically don't enjoy all the time, mm-hmm. mostly because we love to have clarity and we love to be in action right? That's our favorite part of the phase is like, we know what we're doing. We know what we're about and now we're doing it and it's great. But when the action is complete, we have to come back to a phase of reflection, letting go of the old phase, and then starting to research and have discussions and gear up for the next phase. And people typically want to rush through that. But if you rush through it, then you don't get all the benefits of that phase of like, speaking specifically of like clarity of purpose and vision and doing that hard work so i can only imagine as a ceo of a team of people like trying to wrangle everyone to be like no this is good work we really need to stay immersed for a little while in this conversation even though there are some people always some people in the group who because they love being in action action so much they're like we need to stop talking and do something we need to see you know and then there that there's the other group that's like whoa, whoa whoa we're not ready to move until we figure all this out and 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 being the CEO of an organization, you're at that level where it's like, OK, people are looking to you as as the voice and they're looking to your face to to how's Patsy reacting to all of this. So I just commend you because it is it is it can be a hard conversation to have just because we want to get to work and we want to do good in the world. And there's another component of, um, your, your three-pronged mission that you mentioned, which was diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now you're an organization that's in multiple con- countries, locations all over the United States, primarily made up of women, but pulling from all different populations. Tell me about DEI within AGLI and, and how you're approaching those conversations.
1: Sure. Very, very happy to. And I, I will, uh, Uh, elaborate on your comment around the change management process just for a moment. Um, I have always been in a role that involved change of some type. So I've never taken an existing job or one that didn't have a transformational element to it. And I tell you that because I'm very passionate about that process. And I think you're spot on. You know, it's a very emotional process. So you have to meet people where they are, as they say, and be conscious of the fact that people often say, I want change. But when it actually happens, there's a very different reaction there and people tend to hold on. So what you, are, you said it very, very well. That is the biggest challenge, and I keep reminding myself and the team and the association that it's a process and that it will take time, right? Yeah. So that's that's always the key piece. It's a process, as much as we want to get things done quickly. Uh, but to your point on diversity and inclusion, as you know, that's where I've spent the bulk of my, my re- most recent career in the past 15-plus years. And I will tell you that our approach is based on two factors to start you know, from an external perspective outside the association, the demographics of the United States and the world are changing dramatically, right, in terms of diversity, uh, whether it's racial diversity, socioeconomic, cultural, or otherwise, the demographics are changing dramatically. And in order to remain relevant, which I think is a really key word for a hundred-year-old organization, we, we need to be conscious of those demographics and really think about who is our potential member? Who is our existing member, and how do we engage them? And so I tell you that because that's really a big driver for our DE and I strategy is that we want to build a culture of inclusion where everyone feels a sense of belonging. Right. So there's two parts to that equation. One is the diversity of our membership and potential membership, and the other is the inclusive environment. That we wish to create across the association again where people feel a sense of belonging and they also feel that their voice is heard and respected so in order to get there to get a little bit more specific our strategy includes a number of different components one of the key elements is education so helping people understand why are we doing this right why does it matter Uh, first of all but then secondly What are the behaviors that we want to drive across the association that are aligned to our mission, vision, and values? but also allow us as part of that process to really demonstrate leadership, which is core to who we are around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So helping people have courageous conversations, civil discourse during very difficult times for our society, particularly around d with some tragic events having taken place over the past year, which really are symbolic of hundreds of years, but are, are, are taking place in our society today and impacting us in an enormous way, no matter who you are. And so that education is really important. That's a big piece of our strategy. The other piece is alignment, Jody. So aligning, as you mentioned, all of these 295 leagues in four different countries and all over the United States where diversity looks very different state by state as well as it does globally, making sure that we have a centralized strategy, but also allowing those individual leagues or enabling, I should say. Those individual leagues the opportunity to do what suits them best again in their own community with their own challenges. But we do want to have that framework. So, as an initial first step, we've established a council which allows us to bring together league leadership, league members, board members, team members together, and people who are passionate about the topic to help us build out that strategy and to establish the accountability measures to make sure that we develop a strategy that's sustainable measurable, and actually ultimately has the impact that we're looking to achieve. 100%
0: hundred percent and I'm hearing and what you're saying and you've mentioned this before is balancing things on the global level or on the human level even to speak that there are things that we all have in common so let's address those things but also balancing that with the needs in London are not going to be the same as the needs in Mexico City there are very unique experiences that women are having and communities are having you know in in, in different geographical locations and it's important to balance Balance both of them to, while on the one hand have something that's unified, and at the other, on the other hand, that's flexible enough that the the chapters can adapt that to their specific needs. And the other thing I was thinking while you were sharing about AJLI's strategy on all, all the the pieces of your mission is. I'm vastly interested in how organizations are helping women to get into senior leadership, and not just get there, but thrive there, feel comfortable and confident getting there and being there. And the the, the different parts of your mission really speak to what leaders are going to need in the now and in the future. And it's getting stronger like the these abilities these understandings this knowledge these the skill set um it the, the the need for it is great
1: absolutely um 100% i mean that is i think the need for leadership skills to your point is much more important and becoming more important. It's interesting. You you mentioned the word soft skills earlier, which I think is absolutely appropriate. And it's definitely a term that's been used over the years to describe relationship, leadership, communication skills. But at this point in time, leadership skills are no longer soft or no longer considered soft, right? Because they're actually considered hard skills because they're equally, if not more important, And some of the technical skills that you need to be successful in a leadership role. So that's a really important point. And to your earlier point as well around diversity, in order to be an effective leader, and this has definitely been an approach that that I've taken in previous organizations and intend to do the same with the association, is that you need to integrate diversity, equity, inclusion into how you educate people overall. And so that if you're a leader, it's just expected that you will be one who's inclusive and who pays attention to diversity, right? It's just part of being a leader. It really shouldn't be a separate exercise to your point. It should be part of how do you lead? How do you incorporate all aspects of diversity? Because it's not only about those areas of diversity that we talk about, race, gender, LGBTQ status, et cetera, but it's also just about different styles and approaches. And that's always been a factor of leadership development, right? But now it's even more important and then the second piece that's really emerging, as I'm sure you've heard others speak about, is really how do we lead in this new world, right? I mean, this, this past year has been you know, in, in, incredibly uh, emotive. Uh, in so many words one could use. I almost don't want to go down that path. But I will say it's been such a year of change. And the world has, has so many different things that have happened as a result, us all being virtual. How do you lead a virtual team? So, how do you lead post-COVID is going to be a big topic now, particularly as we enter this new phase in the pandemic, and also as leaders start to reflect on the past year and how they led their organizations and what are some of the things that we or they, us have learned during this experience that we can take forward as leaders? And there's a lot, right? There's different ways of engaging people. People become more innovative in their approaches in that way. I hear this from the junior leagues all the time in terms of how they engage with their communities. It's a very different model now. So I think what it takes to be an effective leader is really going to evolve quite a bit and quite quickly over the next couple of years.
0: I'm taking that away, Patsy, especially the part where you said they're hard skills, they're tactical skills, and we need to stop thinking of them as something separate that we do as an add-on in our leadership development and think of it as something that we take on intrinsically as leaders and just embody and exude you know, as we're interacting with people. Now you pointed earlier to talking a little bit about your members who I'm wildly curious about because you have a big mission um, and you're doing some great things in the world. Tell me about the women that make up the members of AJLI and specifically, what do you hear them say was the reason why they were drawn to AJLI?
1: So of the 125,000 members over the years, the demographics have changed quite a bit. And so we are more diverse, I think, than people who of years ago would have thought of the junior league in a certain context uh, is no longer the case. And we are very forthright in our approach in terms of attracting and retaining more diverse individuals. But let's be honest, we have a lot of work to do. There's no doubt about that. But what's very interesting is that the community of women is is a group of people, 98% of whom are working, and that used to not be the case years ago as well. So these women are volunteering their time outside of their full-time jobs, and it's a lot of time. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the the commitment to the junior league is extensive. You can spend 20-plus hours, if not more, a week if you're in a leadership position, actually in meetings and doing community work, et cetera. So it's quite a commitment. And I tell you that because the people who are members are very passionate and very determined and extremely committed for that reason. And so you get a number of different people. And in fact, we just did some research very recently in the past couple months to really look at our membership base and understand our membership profile. And I'll tell you briefly that we have four general types of individuals that join the junior league. And it's hot off the press, by the way. Nice. We've, got, um, <laughs> yes, pretty neat. We've got a stereotype, if you will, or, or a grouping called Daniel the, Determ- Daniel the Determined. And this is the individual who does 500,000 things, who has known about the league for many, many years, and just has always wanted to be a member. And they join the league, and they're fully committed, and they know what they're getting into before they do it. Then you have Sarah the Social. And this is the person that joins the league because they want to make meet new people make new friends. And this is why we've had success in particular in starting new leagues, not only in the U S but also in different countries, because you have communities of women that are moving to new places and they're trying to find like-minded women, if you will, from a broad perspective who are giving back to their communities. And so you have some people that are driven by the social aspect of the league. You then have what's called Chelsea, the charitable. And this is an individual who's fully driven by our commitment to the community. So, they see all the volunteer work that we're doing and they want to come on board, roll up their sleeves, and get into the community and start doing work today. And then you have a fourth uh, grouping, if you will, which we're calling Rachel the Reluctant, which is someone who may not have known so much about the Junior League and finds out about the organization through friends, connections, and slowly kind of gets pulled into the process and, and really understanding the organization. And actually, at the end of the day, they end up being very committed as everybody else does. But as you can tell, They're very different profiles and different reasons for joining. So it's either about, you know, knowing about the history. And so you have that in your family, your network, your community. Also about knowing about our investment in the community, as I mentioned, certainly about the leadership experiences and training that we provide. There's no doubt that's a huge driver for membership. And then fourthly, there is a social connection. And what's very interesting, Jody, and I've been spending a lot of time talking to people on my listening tour, which will continue forever at this point, uh, is that a lot of people join because they just want to have those connections. And they really and they stay involved in the league for years. I mean, you'll talk to people that have been in and out of certain leagues, in and out of leadership roles, either on the board or within their leagues themselves, who've been involved for 30 years. So you people generally come on board and stay for a very long time, which I think is a really fascinating aspect of our membership and really gets back to the types of individuals that we're attracting who are committing this much time to an organization and to their communities.
0: It says a lot about the individuals, but I'll also say it's a testament to the organization that the organization is doing something right to support these members, to have them want to stay, even if it's providing that space, you know, that the chapters can thrive and be successful. It's fascinating. And, I oftentimes have conversations with my clients who, you know, will oftentimes find themselves overcommitted, overwhelmed. And so we have, to, we take a look at what's everything you're involved in, what, what are all your obligations and commitments so we can determine what are the priorities and what things need to be phased out or ended. And it usually always comes back to values, you know, a couple of things, values is what will draw us to an organization. And those are the ones my clients want to stick with. They're like, I feel connected to this organization or this work in the world because I believe X. And so a lot of the the mem I would say, you know, all of the members of AJLI that the reason they're drawn to it is that wanting to, like I'm hearing this, wanting to collaborate, wanting to make a difference, wanting to get into the community, wanting to roll up your sleeves and be involved. And those core values, even though each of those archetypes might have a different value that they're leading with, I think that that is shared and, and that's important, you know, because it's the values that will keep us engaged and sustaining and doing that good work. And also the return on investment and that, and I'm not speaking like monetarily because if you're volunteering, you're not doing it for a paycheck, but it's, it's that feel good that I'm making a difference. We're doing good work. This is not wasted time. It might be 20 hours a week, but your members are having an opportunity to feel the impact of the work that they're doing because if we just spent 20 hours a week and then got a newsletter telling us oh this is the difference that you're making that probably wouldn't hold people for very long i get a sense that they're having person-to-person connections with their community that's that's giving them that that feel-good jolt
1: I, I think that's spot on. I think that really is. The return on investment is a great way of looking at it, right, because they are investing so much time and energy and emotion, frankly, because it is very emotive. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're doing this type of volunteer work and you're making these connections, it, it is very emotional. And you can see that when you talk to the lead leaders and the, and the lead members. But I think that that's a great point. I mean, there, there's no doubt that the values drive people to, to join and to stay. Uh, It's always been a very values driven organization. And we know that more and more today, that's more important to people, particularly the next generation. I see that in my own kids who are only teenagers. But at the end of the day, they're they're very driven by values based organizations. And we are seeing that in in our values come back to where we started our conversation around women in leadership community impact, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how we do it, the collaboration and the the connections and the collective aspect of that is, is really important to people. So I agree wholeheartedly.
0: And Patsy, you also mentioned like, you've done a lot of research. You've got some hot off the presses um, information on that. That speaks to initiatives around the members um, and supporting them. What is, the, what is the mission AJLI has in regards to its members?
1: That's also a great question. So it's, it's a, a big topic of discussion right now as we go through the strategic planning process. And that's part of the reason we have access to so much research because we wanted to make sure that we really understood our members, and really are taking a member-centric approach, right? Because at the end of the day, that's why we exist, because of our members and the work that they're doing. And we want to make sure that there's a value add to being part of the association. So so what is that value add at the moment? It gets back to the, the collective aspect in terms of learning, development, and again, getting back to engaging in our communities, which I know I've said many times, but it really is the heart of what we do. And so what we're doing is providing them that collective opportunity, access, if you will, education and development and connections. That's how I look at it. At the same time, though, at a more tactical level, we're also providing them with tools and resources that they need to be successful, right? So in addition to the training, how do you answer question X coming from league member Y that might be difficult? So we want to make sure that we have access to all those types of resources. And also the final point I would add on that is that what we try to do as an association is to provide as many opportunities as possible for league leaders and league members to connect with one another across the leagues so that we're giving them the opportunity to share best practices and find different ways of doing things and and have people be able to share their stories and their successes so others can learn from them.
0: That's amazing. And I'm sure there are plenty of women listening right now who have gotten curious about the Junior League and want to find out more about if there's a chapter in their local area, how can they get involved? Where would you send them so they could get more information on that?
1: Well, I hope that is the case, Jody. We'd love for people to pay attention to the Junior League and to join as they see fit. Um, The best place to go is to our website. So the AJLI.org website and and to look up the different Junior Leagues in their communities, in your communities, for those of you who are listening, to have the opportunity to see where they're based. Uh, There's, as I mentioned, 295 leagues. So there's a good chance there's one close to many of your listeners, if not all, And really start there and then start talking to people in your community as well to see if there are people that are members so you can learn a bit more in terms of what that experience is all about.
0: Yes. And I'm sure that I've seen it myself on LinkedIn. People are pretty loud and proud. If they're a member of the Junior League, they're, they're sharing, they're posting, they've got it in their profile. So they're probably not hard to identify with a simple search. And Patsy, how do those listening connect with you? Where can they find you?
1: Sure. Um, they, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, a, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Uh, so that's always a possibility. It's Patsy Doerr, D-O-E-R-R, or certainly through the Junior League website. Uh, you can reach me via my email, which is which would be great. I'm very happy to have a conversation and talk about what we're doing. And I think those are probably the two best ways
0: hmm That's very generous. I appreciate that, Patsy. And for those of you who are listening, I know it's oftentimes you're on a run, you're in the car, you're going here, there, and everywhere. Don't worry. The links that Patsy shared will be in the show notes that accompany this episode. And you can find those at womentakingthelead.com forward slash Patsy Dash door and it's P-A-T-S-Y-D-O-E-R-R. And thank you. Thank you, Patsy, for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate.